From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Atlanta's own Black Lips is a band that keeps audiences on their toes, both literally, which you'd know if you ever landed in the mosh pit at one of their shows, and figuratively. I mean, who'd have thunk that the latest It Bag line from Gucci is named for band member Zumi Rossow? 20 years in the business, they've made unruly garage rock, rockabilly records, and sometimes sound like old country crooners. In fact, they have a new album coming out in early 2020, which they say is a country album. It's called The Black Lip Sing in a World That's Falling Apart. And you're listening to one of the singles from the record, This Is Odelia. We spoke with founding member Jared Swilly and Cole Alexander earlier this year while they were working on the new album. But first, we had to understand where they came from, including being kicked out of Dunwoody High School. We actually were, we started the band while, while we were in there. We were kicked out shortly after. Uh, together? Yeah. Separately? What happened? We got kicked out separately. Yeah, Cole was first and I was a few days later, I think. So you guys were bad kids, like your song. Let's hear a little bit of that. Yeah. Well, not not like we were good, bad, not evil. (laughs) What's the distinction there? Well, never anything with malicious intent, just like smoking cigarettes and cutting class and stuff like that. So minor league bad. Yeah. Yeah. Misdemeanors. All right. Well, I want to know more about you growing up. You both worked at the Majestic, the diner on Ponce de Leon. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What, what were those early days of the band like? I mean, we all lived in a big house with 10 or 11 people in a home park. And it was kind of like a, a frat house for people that didn't go to college. Uh, it was called <laughs> Dice Slaughter House. You know, we usually go on tour for about a month. And then we'd have to come back home and work for a month to save up to go on tour because, well, you pretty much had to pay to go on tour because we didn't make any money. Yeah. Majestic was very supportive, though, because we'd still have a job if we left for a long time on tour and came back. We'd still have our job. So that was important for us to have that, that stability since we weren't making money touring. Did you, did you ever have any idea at that point that, you know, 20 years later, you would still be in a band together? What, what were your aspirations then? We didn't really think too far ahead, you know. It was <laughs> yeah. uh, never really thought more than like a, <laughs> like a Your week next into meal. the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was about it. But I always knew that this is what I was going to do. Uh, I liked, you know, the majestic and all that, but you know, I kind of wanted to be on the road and be making records. And Jared, you come from a long line of preachers, right? I mean, your father was a bishop. Yeah, uh, my grandfather, uh, all my great uncles, uncles, all that. So I mean, I guess I'm still kind of in the preaching business in a sense. Well, I wondered about that. Do you, do you feel like that? Do you feel like you are, you know, spreading the gospel of a certain kind? Spreading, you know, just good vibes and trying to get people to have a good time. Um, I mean, it's essentially the same line of work. Uh, you know, they all played music on stage. Um, so I was all very used to it. I guess it's in, it's in my blood. Um, all my favorite musicians cut their teeth in the pulpit and in church. Well, there's one particular musician, I understand, the Mighty Hannibal, another Atlanta native, funk musician, soul musician. He was a kind of a mentor to you, wasn't he, Jared? Yeah, yeah. He was my, yeah, he was my mentor. He always called me his protege. 
Um, we became real good friends after we did a show in New York City in like 2004 or something. And then I, he hadn't been back to Atlanta since the 70s, so I arranged for him to come back, and we were his backup band. And pretty much, I talked to him at least once a day, every day, until you know, until he passed a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I have to say, the, his hymn number five, I think, is one of the greatest protest songs ever written. I want somebody to tell my mother and go down yonder in Georgia and tell my father that I'm way over here. Crawling in these trench holes, covered with blood. But one thing that I know, there's no tomorrow. Fantastic. Man. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think that one is the one that kind of got him blacklisted from radio, though. Yeah, people uh, wouldn't play it. Well, I'm thinking that you, you make a nod as a band to so many different kinds of music, to rock and roll, to blues, soul, psychedelica, punk. Um, maybe I would even argue country. I think there's a lot of great country sort of theme in your music. I've even yeah, heard a big time. Is that something that you grew up thinking of and, and, and listening to when you were kids? I pretty much like all kinds of music. I mean, it tends to be more outsider music and more like raw stuff. And country has a lot of that. We're actually kind of working on, we're, we just finished a country record now. Um, well, our interpretation of country, it's not purist by any means. But, you know, we always, you know, we, we like a lot of different rec kinds of records and kinds of music. And country is something I kind of came up on, as well as, you know, gospel and rock and roll. Yeah, a lot of traditional, like, Southern American art forms were influential. Do, yeah. what, are some, what are some records that people who would like to understand you a little bit better in that outsider country genre might listen to they're not all outsiders but like charlie feathers mm. um there was a comp we listened to a lot called godless america that kind of compiled a lot of like weirdo country music and yeah some some certain songs from artists that were kind of darker or weirder is i like highly eddie, recommend it. like eddie like one of the best songs would be like uh eddie nowak, eddie nowak you think i'm psycho don't you mama you think i'm psycho don't you mama you better let him lock me up. That one's, uh, man, that one's super weird and is really good. Oh, he did that song, Dolores. Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. Okay, I know, I know a little bit. I have some, I have some arcane country music taste myself. Well, your music, I mean, your rebellion and defiance, which has gotten you into trouble a couple of times, or maybe. Ten times. You were almost arrested in India once, I understand. What, what happened there? Uh, well, tour is going great and all, but we were kind of like didn't know like how to act. So we were being very reserved. And then the tour manager we had was like, oh, just do whatever you want. And we played this really wild show at a university there in Chennai, India. And uh, I thought it went great. It went off without a hitch. But like Cole and Ian kissed each other. And I guess... Didn't go over well. The sponsors no. of the tour, they called the police, and uh, we just had to get all of our stuff from the hotel, and we took a taxi like 10 hours to the next state, I think it was Tamil, and uh, then we found out the tour was over. I didn't even know we had a sponsor on the tour, but I guess they pulled out. They must have been more conservative. Like, all the kids liked it. They thought it was fine, but... I guess who is I guess kissing like man kissing is a big no no there. Yeah. yeah, the bottom fell out of the tour pretty much after that. So Cole, I also understand that you were once head butted by somebody in the audience at a show in Paris, right? Yeah, yeah, we've had like little bits of like 
rowdy bouncers and fans, a little bit of violence, um, but just kind of part of the territory. It's always kind of, to me, part of just like the entertainment of it. No one's, no one's ever gotten like seriously injured or anything, I don't think. But 20 but yeah. years in, do you ever get tired of that? You know, the rowdiness or the, or the risk of like, oh, I'm going out on a show. This could, you know, I, mean, I that, could get my head that, split. I, we kind of like the idea of any moment all hell could break loose. That That's kind of a good feeling to incorporate fear and other emotions into the music instead of just happiness. It can be happy and scary at the same time. So that's the edge that you're looking for? Well, it just kind of came naturally, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, so th- this is something I've heard. You, you've described yourself as having ODD, oppositional, de- <laughs> oppositional yeah, we, defiant disorder, which is a real thing. Yeah, we thought it was a joke. Yeah, we thought first. it was fake, but uh, but it seemed like it described us. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you, I know it was a real thing. Yeah, you got a band wide diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, we're seeking treatment right now. <laughs> <laughs> I somehow don't believe you. <laughs> Well, as long as you don't tell me to seek treatment. I'll <laughs> yeah, if you tell us not to seek treatment, then we will. You, because you do the absolute opposite of what you're being yeah, told to do. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. Well, and so you've definitely chosen the right life for yourself. Because not, you know, if you had oppositional defiance disorder in a lot of jobs, you wouldn't last. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would be toast in a lot of professions. But this one caters to all my disabilities. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about your music. Your 2011 album is called Arabia Mountain, referring to uh, the National Heritage Area that's just outside of Atlanta. This was produced by Mark Ronson. Let's hear just a little bit of one of those songs called Modern Art. The cover photo on this record was taken at Arabia Mountain. Have I got that right? Yeah. yeah. So, so why why this place so central to this record? People were always asking us when we were touring on that at that album what the name meant. It was a pretty simple answer, we like because that's the place where we took the picture. There's no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we that's did. Deep. We did a we did a <laughs> Middle Eastern tour, which is just kind of coincidental around that time. But that was right so around the time of, of the Arab Spring, wasn't it? I mean, that that's yeah. what I was thinking. Twenty eleven. Yeah, it was kind of in the air a little bit, I think. We spent a couple of years trying to get our tour booked in the Middle East. We had to actually postpone it for a year because uh, we were going out of Damascus. We had gone to the Syrian embassy in Washington, D.C. to get you know the clearance for all the stuff. And the person booking the tour was in Damascus. And then, um, well, you know, I don't think it needs any explaining. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, a pretty crazy knack for timing, I guess. In that yeah. case, we were all approved to go in and everything, but yeah, then but we switched our home base to Beirut after that. My guests are Atlanta natives Jared Swilly and Cole Alexander. In other words, the founders of Black Lips. You told us earlier that the album you're working on is a country album. So, is this the first time you're making a full record in a particular style? Yeah, this new one's the first time we've ever had any sort of kind of a concept before usually there's no rhyme or reason to it but this one we kind of want it to be more rootsy and stuff like that well it's interesting that you say that because that the record that you did uh, it was produced by sean lennon satan's graffiti or god's art uh i think it was pitchfork they said it was a concept album while making a complete mockery of the medium (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's kind of that's pretty spot on because i think sean was like 
said something about us making a concept record, but our concept was uh, nothing. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like we were making a concept, but we weren't, I guess. <laughs> well, let's hear a little bit from there. This is uh, the song Occidental Front, and Yoko Ono, of all people, sings a little bit on this song. Yeah. So working with Sean Lennon, I mean, you've also worked with Mark Ronson. You've worked with Patrick Carney from the Black Keys. What is it like working with these, you know, musicians, producers rather, that bring so much to the table and not just in terms of their history, but, you know, a level of fame? Mark Ronson was our first uh, experience working with a producer. And honestly, I didn't really know what a producer did before that. And Mark really changed the way I looked at it because he brought so much to the table and I really was like, oh, now I get why people have producers. Yeah, he opened our ears and minds to working with them in the future after that. What, yeah, is that, yeah. what does that mean? Like, what kind of things did you do that you hadn't done on records before? Well, I'll do more than one or two takes on a, on a track. <laughs> yeah. uh, having outside perspective. Yeah, just yeah. Good. It's like having a, like a coach, you know, like if you're a sports team. Yeah, and he brought in the instrumentation, like he brought in like a saw player and, and horn players and stuff like that. So that kind of opened our minds to new ideas. And we kind of met Sean through Mark, so it kind of all fell into place. So what was it like having Yoko in the studio with you, or did she do her track separately? Oh, no, she was in the studio every day. She was probably yeah. in there for like nine or ten days, because we were living at their house the whole time. We were there for like a month. Okay, this is a whole new dimension. So, I mean, it was, at first it was really surreal because, you know, she's so iconic and we're sitting in her kitchen with her. <laughs> but uh, she was, she's really, really cool. After a while, like, the, it, it wore off because the first day I'm like, you know, dang, Yoko Ono's sitting right there. Just, <laughs> <laughs> we're just eating sandwiches. Uh, but then, yeah, that, that wore off. She's really cool and far out. Such wow. a great, such an amazing voice to have on that record, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, yeah she still can belt it out for an 80-something-year-old. Yeah, she's like a master scream, screamer. Mm. <laughs> okay, so I heard a little bit of a rumor about somebody else that you might be working with. Um, anything you want to tell us about that? Um, we recently did a jam with uh, Kesha. We did. We it was a song. Spent yeah. a little time in the studio with her. Um, I don't know what'll you know come with it and stuff, but it's we not did, done we, yet. We did so. like a tour with her last year. Mm -hmm. We just kind of we met her at Coachella years ago, and it seems like an odd pairing, but we kind of just hit it off with her years ago, and we've stayed buddies ever since, and we always talked about doing stuff together. Yeah, she's from Nashville, and her mom was like a songwriter. She wrote songs like Johnny Cash and stuff, so she actually has a lot of roots in kind of Southern music, which was kind of fitting for what we're doing right now with the country-themed record. Oh, that's so interesting. I actually, I'm just trying to imagine what the, the union of the two of you would sound like, Kesha and, and Black Lips. Yeah, it's like country stuff. It sounds, it sounds yeah, real good. More rootsy than pop, I'd say, but yeah. Really, really appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hometown us. Holler. That was Jared Swilly and Cole Alexander, Atlanta natives and founders of the band The Black Lips. They have a new album coming out in early 2020. 
a country record, or their version of country, as they said. It's called Black Lip Sing in a World That's Falling Apart. You're listening to one of the tracks from the album, Gentlemen. And she wants a gentleman If you missed any of today's show or would like to listen on your own time, hit the Programs tab for On Second Thought at gpbnews.org. That's where you can subscribe to the On Second Thought podcast so that you will never miss a beat. Author Jocelyn Jackson is coming up. Her book, Never Have I Ever, is not the game, but a literary thriller. So stay tuned. On Second Thought, we'll be right back. I'm Virginia Prescott. (laughs) 